When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzarite Financial Services. Tim O'Malley with Tim Priester and Pete Sampson, reviewing the 3-0 Irish. It's been a little too close for comfort for all Notre Dame fans, but uh, not many teams have led and controlled a game <laughs> all three weeks, as have the Irish uh, in 2018. Over more than 171 minutes of 180 minutes, Notre Dame has been in the lead. They haven't trailed. Uh, that's a really good sign, the inability to finish both offensively and defensively. I think I might have given the defense a little bit too much credit or too much of a break, I think, after uh, after the Vanderbilt game. But I do think that, you know, the minutes are really piling up on them. Fifty, I think time of possession in the second half is like 52 minutes to 38 minutes for the opposition. And, you know, and that some of the conditions that Notre Dame's been playing in, the, for the first game and the third game, it was extremely hot and humid. And the Tranquils and the Conies and the Loves and guys like that are playing all those snaps. So it's becoming more difficult for them, but I think the offense is the one that's exacerbating the problem. This was the first game that I watched that I thought Notre Dame might lose it at yes, the end. That's a great point. Uh, Michigan and Ball State, for all the ridiculousness that was happening in, in the second half, Winovich and Gary and then whatever Ball State was doing, that I never felt like that game, Notre Dame was going to lose either of those games. And I'm not saying I thought... Notre Dame was going to lose to Vanderbilt in the fourth quarter, but I thought they definitely could lose. You to didn't Vanderbilt. even think about it in the first two games. It was not. It was not a thought at all. Uh, but when Justin Yoon missed that field goal, I was like, okay, um, this this may go into the uh, dustbin of Syracuse and Connecticut and just Duke and terrible home losses that I've watched in the last decade. Um, you know, and I think that. You know, look, to Notre Dame's credit, they overcame, uh, I think, a Dante Vaughn pass interference penalty, and then the fourth down play where Vanderbilt had exactly the matchup they wanted with their number one receiver against Notre Dame's fourth best defensive back in mm-hmm. Jalen Elliott. Elliott got close enough that it made Lipscomb drop it, or he stripped it, or however you want to score. It doesn't even, it doesn't even really matter. He was just in position yeah. to affect the play. I wouldn't even call that a drop. I mean, he felt the same way that Julian Love absolutely refused not to recover the fumble in the end zone by falling on Blazing Game. Elliot did the same thing. I mean, he, he I wouldn't even call that a drop. I, I think that that was totally caused. Well, by, it's just, my point is just that it doesn't matter what no. it is. It was just like he was in position to make a play, so I'll give him credit for that. But Vanderbilt had them had Notre Dame on the ropes right there. And, I mean, I think, Tim, you and I were probably standing about the same right. area. When that ball went up, I'm like, that's caught. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought that was caught for sure. Um, so that was that was, that was the first time I, I felt like the season sort of flashed before Notre Dame's eyes a little bit. When, his, when Lipscomb's two hands grabbed that ball in the air and knowing who it was, it's funny you reference Duke, I immediately thought this is going to be a terrible loss because they were going to go in. They're going in at that point. The way they're moving the ball gassed. Irish secondary, you're now relying on moving Julian Love to the slot and having to bring in Dante Vaughn in these situations. That's This is kind of why, not to get on a soapbox, I wonder how you don't get someone, your backup corner, more snaps 
going into games, like the Ball State game and right. stuff like that. This, yeah. you, because what is the pressure level of Dante Vaughn going into this? All of a sudden you're covering guys that are hot receivers, a hot quarterback, much better players than the week prior, and this is your first action, and all of a sudden it matters for the first time since your freshman year. Right. It's Yeah. And that was interference on him. I didn't know during the game. Yeah, it was live, also interfe- It was also interference on Pride a little bit earlier in the quarter. But, yeah, yeah I mean, what you guys are saying, these are the last seven drives um, – by Vanderbilt, <clears throat> seven plays, seven plays, seventy-five yards fumble, eight plays, seventy-two yards field goal, ten plays, fifty yards missed field goal, six plays, fifty-one yards interception, five plays, forty-seven yards touchdown, nine plays, seventy-five yards touchdown, and then nine plays, forty-nine yards lost on downs. And prior to that, uh, Notre, Notre Dame's defense had four series, and they had 37 total yards allowed prior to what right. you listed. That is a remarkable right. change. And they, I mean, they started the game with Houston Griffith at the nickel, which, I, Tim, I think you, you noted on Twitter immediately, yeah. which I, I think for all the athleticism that Houston Griffith clearly has. He's, not, he, he, he's, he's made one play in three games. Yeah, it's like the angles, knowing <laughs> where the sticks are, he looks like a young player out there. I have two thoughts on that. Notre Dame has tried, off the top of my head, three other true freshmen promising true freshman at nickel, and they all had to get replaced by the time September ended. Nick Coleman was one. That was a bit of an odd experience. They, did, they didn't want to do that because they didn't have Sean Crawford. But Cole Luke, they tried to throw in there. They thought this is going to be our first nickel we've yeah. had in the Diaco era. He's just tor- It's hard. You get torched by Purdue. He's not getting torched two years later, one year later, Cole Luke. It's a hard spot. The oddity is I've been told Nick Coleman was not hurt. They just took a DMP. Then. A DMP, including special teams, which I find weird. Yeah, because that, he can run and strange. tackle. He's a senior, and he was out, and he was talking to us Wednesday. Yeah, that, that that's yeah. remarkable. That's that is very very strange considering everything that he did in the preseason, especially on special teams. Considering how much time they spent with him, so and, we'll have to clarify. And this, Nickel, but, yeah, yeah, we absolutely have to. No, I don't think Houston Griffith. I mean, what a matchup for Houston Griffith against Lipscomb. I mean, he's a, he's an incredible, incredibly difficult matchup for anybody, let alone a freshman, and he. You know, when people say they don't, they're not going to miss Sean Crawford. It's easy to. That's just, I mean, that's that. That's just that's just incorrect. The nickel is a starter now. It's nothing. It's not a backup. He's not a backup in any way, shape, or form. In fact, he's your only rotational guy. Well, now it has to be Vaughn that you could give Troy Pride a break. Troy Pride wouldn't be playing 98 snaps in a 97 snap game. Yeah. Or, or you, he can also give Love a break because he's played both sides. Now, Love is a much better boundary corner than Crawford. It's a closer race at the field. But it helps. It gets you a guy in there you can trust, and it really they're gonna have, they're gonna have to start trusting Vaughn because otherwise, Vaughn's well, I, die I, the Coleman the thing is so strange. I mean, it's almost like it's an attitude issue, and that's one of the last guys that you would expect that's, that's that to be. I so don't I, it, yeah. I don't. If it's not injury and it's not attitude, uh, I mean, I just I don't I don't understand. Pete, you mentioned he had a bust that got Griffith in the game against Ball State, but this is not a bust to sit yeah. down this long. Yeah, I right mean, there. it's like if you if you bench somebody for a week for every mistake that they made, I mean, they'd be feeling be they'd be that. playing eight on eight football. It has to be more than that. He must have had a very poor week of practice. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm grasping here for yeah. for the reason behind it, but the rest of the defense, um, in the same way that you can't say, "Oh, miss your Sean Crawford," that's fine because you it will look good for the first couple weeks. I think um, Myron Tagovailoa Almosa's miss is going to start to look more and right. more uh, apparent as the season goes on. Because I mean, I think even the play Vanderbilt's the the touchdown run that they had, um, I think it was it was the second half one. I mean, he was untouched. Yeah, Micah Dutrowa gets completely sealed yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
I just don't know what they're getting out of their their backup defensive lineman aside well, from the top five. No, I I, th- I wrote about this in the tape today. I think that even though they don't play the same position, Heinish and Okandiji are playing so well that they mm-hmm. are they are comp- they are really compensating with that second unit. Not at that specific position, yeah. I would agree, because Adam Alola I don't think has been real effective. He's game and he's quick, but I don't I don't know how effective he's been up to this point. And Mike and do Treadway can tackle in the phone booth and not be on that. Right. The and, one thing I think they're getting from those other five or those other four that are playing is snaps because defensive line cannot do what the linebackers and cornerbacks right. are doing. They absolutely have to take some plays off. I mean they have to sit. They play they hard. Have to come out. Yeah. Um, I, I think if there was one thing about the defense that I sort of wasn't really learning anything, it was just sort of confirming is about how good Drew Tranquil can be oh at the gosh. buck position. Because I, I mean, I remember sitting down him with him in Orlando and talking about him coming back for fifth year, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to change positions." I'm like, "Really?" Like, and we sort of talked that out a little bit, and I'm like, "All right." I mean, I mean, I guess it makes sense because if you want to play that in the pros, like. You should get a chance to play to college, especially if you're playing for free. Um, but man, he was just—he was just outstanding to be able to put your inside linebacker against a number one receiver on third down and be like, "Yeah, of course he's going to tackle him for a two-yard gain," yeah. and you're going to force a punt. He like, impacts play after yeah. play after play. I mean, Coney is very similar, of course, yeah. and that's why it's an incredible duo in the middle. But I mean, Tranquil just—that was the first guy that I wrote about when I broke down. Defensive personnel because we tend to overlook him. We take him for granted that okay, yeah. he's going to make plays. He had nine unassisted tackles. Nobody else in the game had more than five. Um, you know, uh, pass rush. I, I guess I was just reminded by Alan Wasilewski at Notre Dame that they can't give more than one hurry per pass right. attempt. Right, right. And so because I was like, Tranquil had no quarterback hurries. What what's going on here? But you know, there's other people involved with that. He, he had five stuffs out of his nine solo tackles. Yeah, I mean, so that's nine living nine, in the nine tackles. Like, no exotic statistics with the TFL stats, hacks, like all the stuff that he just racked up at Rover last year. But, man, it's uh, the, the stuffs that you track O'Malley really sort of shines a light on how good and productive he is at that position. If you're making that many plays within two yards of scrimmage, and remember, these are never positive. There's no such thing as a positive stuff for the offense. If you get a first down on third and one, it's not a stuff. It doesn't right. count. So these are all plays that help Notre Dame. Right. That's remarkable effort, five out of nine. I mean, that is all your plays are being made. And there's a couple times where, I mean, you see him in a trailing position against a tight end. That's not, As Tim Priester pointed out, he's like, that wasn't his guy. Just yeah. because he's making the tackle 18 he yards downfield doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I, you know, I, I noticed, noticed this last year, and it, it was again against uh, Vanderbilt. I, I thought it was a tackle for loss. Maybe it was a no gain. But there are plays where the way he reacts, you know that that's a film room decision that was made by him, that, that he – Studied the film and knew the opponent because his reaction to it told you that, oh, I've seen this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get there. I think you're talking about sort of that jet sweep yep. motion. It was it was right before the third down stop on Lipscomb where he sees the game like a safety, but he's a linebacker because he used to oh, be a that's safety. Good point. That's and, good point. I mean, you can see him turn. He sees the motion happening, and then as soon as the snap, he starts taking steps and just hawks that dude yeah. down. It's like Gilman. Or one Gilman's game. never going to be big enough to play yeah. linebacker. The one issue with him at Buck is he's not a rover. Yeah. plus to put a bow on like guys making plays of scrimmage. Last year, Coney and Martini at Buck, you were looking at, this is a quick look at the thing, you were looking at 12 stuffs from the position through three games at Buck. And obviously, you know, Tranquil's near that, of course. Morgan had another nine and Tranquil had seven at Rover. They have one at Rover this year. Yeah. 
It's just a different. Yeah. And but Belial has cemented that hey, he can be out there. It, yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't look out of water. He doesn't look like no, a fish played, out of water. He played anymore. better the first two games yeah, than but, this one. Well, he's more played better back. players this week. Well, that's what. Before we finish up segment one, let's talk a little bit about the offense of the offense in general. The offensive line play was much much better, much more physical. Was that really Tommy Kramer? Was that really Tommy Kramer? Because I know at one point you at point one point out Trevor Ruling came in. Yeah, yeah no, I no, I realize that, yeah. but I think that was more of a it was like end of half, and they wanted to sure they wanted to throw was. the football a bit more, which makes sense to put Ruling in if you want to do a two minute or four minute. Maybe I'm reading something into that, but I thought by and large, Kramer was was good and quick and and getting to the spot he needed to get to. Uh, I thought he. W- I thought that was a much, much better version of Tommy Kramer than anything we saw in the first two games. I think all five linemen yes. individually were yeah. better than they were yes. against Ball State. And I, if there was something that you can feel good about offensively, is the fact that they're averaging, I think, forty-five carries per game. And we've seen a lot of Brian Kelly offenses that would have abandoned the run a long time earlier than this one has, and because this one has not, well, it's just, it's sticking with it, which is. A good sign for the long haul. Are they going to be as great as they were running ball last year? Absolutely not. But I would I would almost rather them try to be a knockoff version of last year's offense yes. than like try I to agree. be like Wimbush is going to throw it thirty times now. We have right. to evolve no, and reinvent ourselves. That's Chip Long, Pete. When we discussed this in the spring podcast, when they when you talk to Chip Long and you hear from behind the scenes they're looking to balance it out more, I said, well, then they're going to go eight and four. Because they can't balance it out. Right. They have to force running the ball and be play action. And the screen game. What is going on? I mean, you, you just can't <laughs> use it at all? That no. Ball, it, no, you can't. Hey, they got one to fake, right? The one to fake where he looked like practice and he faked out one-on-one. I was like, that's what Chris Fink does. He I fakes mean, out guys I was, I was pleased that they bagged the screen game. You have game. to bag it's it like, totally. Like, the, <laughs> the traditional screen game. Yeah. Where like linemen are trying to like sneak around, like they they stopped doing that, which was good. In terms of, let me let me pull up uh, Wimbush's passing chart. These are his, his passes behind the line of scrimmage. He was five of six for three yards. I mean, it's just like he, that's just not his skill set. I mean, it, no, but it, it's man, he throws that wheel route pretty well, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Keep it that, that was a real, that first one to Jones. I thought was a real positive because he threw it with authority. Yeah. It was tight, and there was a man in his face. And he threw it right over where that guy was coming from. But the um, the stay routes and all that stuff, it's 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 really frustrating because when you're running an RPO game, there are so many instances. One. Chase Claypool needs to put in a way better effort than he did on Saturday blocking. I thought it was probably the worst game I've seen him play. I thought his body language said, I'm pissed that Michael Young is playing today. I'm not sure what it it wasn't good. When he said blocking, you could have just said, I thought Chase Claypool needed to put in a way better effort. And you could have just effort. (laughs) Um, That was, yeah, it was a. But it's frustrating, I think, for Long and people watching where you have. A two-on-one with Claypool and Fink to the, I think it was to Wimbush's left, and Claypool can't block him, and Fink gets thrown for a three-yard loss. You have to th- be able to throw that pass for a five-yard game. He's a good blocker. I mean, generally he is. It was I, I thought he was. Really... I thought he was out of sorts on Saturday. I'll say one thing. I think he saved the touchdown on the punt return. He made the diving stop on the twenty-yard punt return. It was, it was going. So, it was going somewhere. I don't know about that, but it was an absolutely <laughs> tremendous tackle. I don't know where it was going to go after that, but. You know, he yeah, he struggled a little bit. I'd like to see them, you know, I'm sure Miles Boykin was getting pressed hard and he only had one reception. 
Did he have one reception or he did, did he have two? He had one, I believe. Um, he, had, he drew a P.I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he drew a, an important P.I. and It didn't lead to a touchdown, but it got them down inside the five-yard line to the two-yard line. But, I, you know, I'd like to see them. I mean, just keep targeting Miles Boykin. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I think he's going to end up doing a lot of really good things for them. And then the running backs, I mean, Brian Kelly said the running backs – had vision, saw things. Tony, Tony Jones. Jones was was explosive and powerful. Tim O'Malley, Memorial Performance from, <laughs> from 2017. And he was doing the things we saw, like the catches out of the backfield, yeah. the breaking the first tackle, yeah. running with authority. It's not he is not as fast as Dexter Williams. Uh, uh, absorbing a, a hit yes. on the first wheel route and getting back in the game, I believe within six plays. Yeah, he would have been out for a right. month and a half last right. year. With that yeah, one. a lot of lot of positives with him. And I still say there. And, okay, there was a, the nine yard run. In the second half, by Armstrong was where he he clearly put a left foot in the ground and went right. It was a it was a good read. It was a fairly easy read, but just to see him put that foot in the ground and become a little bit more elusive in traffic is a, is a really good sign. Those two guys are making huge progress. It goes hand in hand with the offensive line. When Brian Kelly said that they were uh, they were finding daylight while well, the offensive line was creating a whole hell of a lot more daylight. They're going to need to have uh, those two guys really contribute, though, on the road and against Stanford. I know Dexter Williams is coming back. Dexter Williams is going to play plenty against Stanford, but it's a difficult situation for a guy like Dexter Williams. His approach to the game has never been mature. Being, being locked in. Has never carried more than eight times. Yeah. He is going to need help in that game. I know people think Dexter gets 30 carries against. That's It's not the situation against Stanford. He has to go in there yeah. and be part of the three. But they need they need Tony Jones to not take a step back. Because Jafar Armstrong, you can understand every little part of his development right now. Tony Jones now has to be able to go to no, Wake right. and be a good runner. You're right. He has to play, he has to play like an upperclassman yeah. now. He's in that situation. Before we end this segment, I thought Brandon Wimbush played – Solid winning football. He didn't turn it over. He didn't take a sack. He made some good throws, especially on the wheel routes. He made some throws with a guy in his face. Uh, he didn't throw as many up for grabs, although he still threw a couple, which which you can do with Boykin. And, field, well, yeah, yeah, and you can do with Boykin and Claypool. When you throw one up for grabs with Michael Young, you're or asking for, for it to, or Chris Fink, you're asking for that to that be made picked no off. Sense. But, <laughs> he did once. No, but, Is this but where, are we are we into the blue zone of segment one yet? <laughs> that was a that was a long uh, yes, we, yes. Was a, we've we advanced the blue zone? to the, the blue um, zone. We got a clarification yeah. of red, white, and blue zone. Tim, uh, Priester, I I wanted to ask exactly the question that you asked on Sunday. So thank you for asking it. Because um, I I think we all sort of felt like your red zone offense was like the best you've ever had last year in the history of the program. Why are, yeah. why are you overthinking it with Ian Book? Um, and do you want to explain why Brian Kelly's overthinking it with Ian Book? Well, he thinks he's really good in the blue zone. That's yeah. where, where where he excels. I didn't actually realize there was a white zone until yeah. yesterday. <laughs> and so now, just to clarify, blue zone is five yards and in. White zone is 14 to the six. And red zone is 25 I'm to the 15. With, I've always been on board with the 25, though. So now, yeah, I know. I agree. But but so now we're dealing with two sets of stats, the ones that Nord Aim keeps because they use the 25 and the ones that everybody in the country uses at 20, although I, I believe most coaching staffs probably do use the 25. I think they all do, except for Diaco. He uses the 21 and a half. 20, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. The, the fact that when when he finished that answer, the first thing I thought of was Bob, Bob Diaco. Of course, yes. And the second thing I thought of was that um, the, the South Florida game, when they had like that really weird defensive hybrid personnel that Jonas Gray fumbles on and gets returned for the touchdown, because they had the, their first trip to the blue zone – 
It was a first and goal at the two. They I bring didn't in, start. I don't they, remember. They bring in Aaron Banks for really it was probably his first competitive play of his. Who gets thrown down to the ground on his first down. snap? Then Kramer and Wright have a double team that doesn't do anything against a linebacker. Like they just get stonewalled by this guy, and Jafar Armstrong is dead for a one yard loss. And you're just like. You have a running quarterback who scored 14 touchdowns, will score another touchdown in about 20 minutes later in this game. It just, it felt very overthought. Do they, and I agree with you, but I mean, do they, I, I'm trying to, look, I'm, we, we're. <laughs> They're overthinking try it. To, no, I'm going to try to think like a coach and why are they, why are, do, are they doing this? Other than, and that's why I asked, when I asked the question, Pete, I asked, you know, are you? Is this just a way of keeping Book involved because you may need him? And he didn't. He didn't really respond to that part of it. I think that would make more sense. It would. It would make more sense. But okay, other. You don't have Nelson McGlinchey. You don't have Durham Smythe. You don't have. I don't know Stefferson and St. Brown. I, I'm trying to come up with reasons why that it doesn't work anymore with Wimbush. The the. Not having Nelson McGlinchey probably makes the most sense there. Right. I mean, and, and it to, does. Be, to be fair, we were not talking about this last week when Book was three for three with handoffs for touchdowns in the blue zone. I mean, for the well, first time, it was just then curious. it didn't matter. Yeah. 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 But it, it, was, it was just like, oh, this is kind of a fun he's little better, He's better under center. I, I get that part. He, you know, if you do read option down there, he's obviously way better than, than uh, Wimbush is at doing that. It's like but they, you don't really. They don't do it. You don't do that there. If you're under center, you're not he's, doing read option. You know, yeah. he, great. Play action, roll, throw, but like, I think Bush Wimbush I mean, can probably make that throw. I mean, I think it, the throw to Wisher, <coughs> Wimbush could make that throw, or Wisher has to like. Wisher really had to. That was a Wisher, great catch. Yeah, that was that was not really an easy catch for him. Um, so yeah. it just it's confusing. I think what would make more sense to me is if they just gave Book a series so he'd be ready in case. Well, that's what I say. He, that's what I say, too. Book, book, is, hey. book is more valuable to them between the 30s Red than zone, he is yeah, on the goal line. Whatever. But whatever. Do you, do you guys it, remember where the black zone is? I heard this is that a couple years ago. the five yards and in the wrong way? Yes, when you got to get out of the black zone. Uh, or maybe it's to the 10. I don't care. Well, he got, Book got a there. snap from the, the from the black zone from the three-yard <laughs> line as well. All right, this segment's running long. We got a whole bunch of questions. We'll be back for segment two in a bit. Catanzarite Financial Services is a safe harbor providing guidance to clients on anything that affects them financially, including retirement planning, asset management, and estate planning. Catanzarite Financial Services also leads retirement planning classes in South Bend and Elkhart, Indiana. Log on to CatanzariteFinancialServices.com. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Catanzarite Financial Services is our Burning Up the Board segment. We take a question from at Mr. Yips underscore four. Is Brandon Wimbush really the issue with the offense or is it time to address the play calling of Chip Long? Mm, no. I mean, I, I think Brandon Wimbush is Brandon Wimbush. And if you want to call that an issue, I guess that you can. Uh, I'm not sure if that's how I would describe it. I, I thought Chip Long's big picture approach on Saturday was really good and from what we talked about in the first segment they they stuck with the run game a week after it was it was pretty bad and they came out and just ripped off I mean the read option gains that they had to start the game 19 14 14 9 20 10 in the first half and then you have Wimbush sort of balancing it out keeping the ball Kind of on a you know every third try, make it an option. Is what you're yeah, saying? he made some good reads too. I mean, there were times where you could see him sort of 
figuring out, okay, this, yeah. is, this is a time I want to And it's really it, decisive yeah, doing, doing it, too. Opposed to, you know, guessing. So, but in terms of, like, the small picture stuff, like the cat and mouse game against um, Vanderbilt's defense, uh, Vanderbilt sort of won that as the game went on. In, in the same way that I think that Chip Long really undressed Don Brown in the first half of the Michigan game, I think that Vanderbilt got the better of Chip Long in the second half of this one. And, I mean, I think in the third quarter, Notre Dame had, like, Six yards or something. I mean, they they really ran out of ran out of answers until the end, and then I think in the fourth quarter they did enough to sort of run out the clock. I don't think you'll ever see a fully efficient offense headed by Brandon Wimbush because he's just not an efficient, yeah, consistent I passer. But you make point. you make play, he makes plays. Um, if he's not making chunk plays, then he shouldn't be in there. But they're making chunk plays with him against Vanderbilt, and that's uh, I believe they did not make any chunk plays in the pass game. Really, no. It was um, I believe they had. Tony Jones had seven of the nine, yeah, including including two catches. Yeah, it's like yeah. a chunk. So, I mean, the way I I guess Wimbush running for passes, the touchdown yeah, passes of twenty yards, which a week earlier he threw a ton of. He was zero five uh, on Saturday, which I thought was just sort of weird. I don't know if that's how Vanderbilt was playing it, but it, it didn't seem like there was a lot really open deep that he was. No, there was wasn't not. a lot open. No, deep, and that's why Boykin yeah. not not really being targeted a whole lot, um, not being able to see absolutely everything when we rewatch the game, I would imagine that Boykin probably had some difficulty at the line of scrimmage uh, or, or leading, uh, eluding Jawan Williams, who's six foot three and a kind of a ridiculous-looking athlete out there. Your thoughts on Long overall to put a bowl in that one? Well, I mean, I you know, I, I, let's see. When they lost to Georgia, he did a lousy job play calling, or that's – I'm saying that's the general opinion. Well, I think it's too the 40 easy. passes was a No, that's idea. not yeah. – that's, yeah. not, that's yeah. not good. That, that wasn't yeah. a good yeah. example. But, yes, you're, you're right there. But, I mean, I, I just think that it's too easy that when something bogs down, when the running game bogs down, we, we immediately question play calling. I mean, do you want them to stick with the run game, or don't right. you want them to stick with the run game? They finally find an offensive coordinator who will stick with the run game, and now we want to run them out of town, <laughs> and they're 3-0. and Well, I think people probably are sick of seeing bubble passes that don't work with Notre Dame and Wimbush, and if you scrap that, I'm all for what's going. what else is going on. Look, they have not, when they try it, it hasn't worked really well, and it's kind of destroyed a couple of games it's, in the past. It's remarkable to me that the the last two games, a team has been suckered into that being an effective play call, and then like Fink slips behind or Claypool slips behind, because um, it's it's just like I would I would let Notre Dame throw that all day. Yeah, I wish. I, yeah, I mean, I just don't. You know, let. I mean, they they are thirteen and three with Chip Long as their offensive coordinator and Brandon Wimbush as their quarterback. I'm not running out, you know, ready to make a whole bunch of wholesale changes. Admittedly, though, as fans, the number one thing you can look at when you're watching television is criticize as an offensive play caller because oh yeah, there are seventy five plays in a game and forty are going nowhere in a football game. So you remember those forty, don't you? Yeah, that's kind of what there are it comes a lot down to. Right. There's but, forty that go nowhere. Right, but in every we don't, football but game. we don't look at it in the reverse no, order. We don't. No, <laughs> no. Irish Eyes 105, do you think Notre Dame is getting away, or I'm sorry, do you think getting away from Notre Dame might be a good thing for this team at this point? And what needs to happen for Notre Dame to be able to sustain offensive success for an entire game? I think. Could I reread this for you? <laughs> do you think getting away from Notre Dame might be a good thing for the three of you at this point? Yes! <laughs> because we are, it is unanimous that the three of us are ready to hit the road. We need to check to see exactly what the conditions are in Winston-Salem, That's North fine. Carolina, <laughs> however. But, or Charlotte, or Raleigh. Or yeah, we're, we yeah we're staying in three different uh, locations, actually. But, you know, no, we're ready to go. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think as a, as a player, it's like, yeah, you know, getting on a plane and flying. 
flying out there. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. I still don't, I mean, I don't think that there's anything about the home environment that is getting them not to finish games per se. It's pretty sleepy the last two weeks. When Notre Dame doesn't have, I mean, I've said this before, when Notre Dame doesn't have Michigan, Stanford, and they'll have Florida State will be good at night, because Notre Dame fans don't like Florida State no matter how bad they are. They're they're not going to have a, they don't have a good atmosphere at home when there's not a big game they can't they can't they can't no, make it a, happen yeah but that's up to the players and coaches I agree to, to I agree create it Golden Domer seventy three not that this offense is anywhere near explosive but with Dexter Williams coming back in time for Stanford how much do you think he elevates the offense it's a three headed monster now with him back um, he's kind of an he's kind of an X factor for the Stanford game right it's not a total counting on the guy but boy he's the most talented. Explosive, that's the word. He's the explosive guy, and all of a sudden you have four people that can really threaten with their legs with Brandon Wimbush. Yeah, when you, I mean, when you have a guy that's averaging, what was it last year, eight or nine yards a carry, and, and we've talked about in practice, you don't need to see his number, you don't need to see the body type. When, you, when Dexter Williams is carrying the football yeah. and he's going through the line, you know it's him because he's just that much more explosive than everybody else. I think what I wanted to see is like in the offseason, how do you replicate the number of carries that you had last year? And if suddenly you're at, you know, 30 among Williams, Armstrong, and Jones, 10 for Wimbush, so you're already at 40, that's a really healthy place to be. Um, so I And there's a little bit of insur- injury insurance in play here because one of those guys is going to get hurt at some point and miss some time. So... If you can spread forty-five carries total among those four guys, that would be a that'd be a pretty healthy place for I think Notre Dame's offense to be. Next question from Sean G fifteen. With the defense being out on the field so much, we are already starting to see them soften toward the end of games. Paired with key injuries, is this team destined to have another horrid November? Man, I you know I, I'm not going to go there I, because when you look at the teams that they're playing in November right now, they're really struggling. Northwestern struggling, Florida State struggling, USC struggling. The only one it is is Syracuse, and they played Florida State and made them look bad. So I I wouldn't go there. I mean, I get the whole idea of diminishing returns in November, especially for guys like Tranquil and Coney and Pride and Love and Gilman and Elliott, who have all been playing really really good football. But you know. I mean, I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to go there yet with this because I, I still think that they have a chance to be deeper defensively. Certainly they are on the defensive line, and other teams have to, other teams have to deal with the same thing as well. It's, I mean, it's a concern, I think, mostly at linebacker, which Priester noted there. And, but there was no way you couldn't watch college football on Saturday and look at what was happening uh, with Northwestern and Florida State earlier in the day, and then USC just looked. USC looked like it was on its way to having interim coach when Notre Dame shows up shows up there at the end of the year. So it, November looks a lot different, but if Notre Dame is limping into November based on what's happened up here in September and October, I'm not sure how much of a difference the fact that Northwestern looks like it's down, USC sort of looks like it's a little bit messy, and Florida State. I mean, how... The mail-in job that Florida State is going to do with the game here at night in November in South Bend is, is I mean, it's going to be like next day delivery. <laughs> it's going to be. You've been holding on to that I would, one. Yeah. If I were you, I would use yes. this. I would write that. It's like FedEx or UPS. Which one will Florida State choose? But, yeah, it's, it's a concern mostly, I think, at linebacker. I think at, at defensive line, 
they're in a healthier place than probably I would have thought at the beginning of the year because they're they're getting more out of those guys. Even with MTA out, they rotated though, nine guys in yeah. the first quarter. Yeah, they're they're making a very deliberate, intentional effort to keep the defensive line fresh for the full season, and that is to be applauded because I think that's something they haven't been able to maintain. The linebackers need a break, and they're not getting one in the next three games, though. That's the issue. It's 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 going to be tough uh, for Tranquil Coney to not. Doesn't mean they can't win games, but you need to get some type of break with that Pittsburgh bye week. A Navy, you're not going to break uh, against Navy unless you're killing. Yeah. Them. Fair, fair warning on this as well. Uh, Wake Forest ran 105 plays against Boston College last Thursday. So if you're going to put that as the warm up for Stanford and then at yeah. Virginia Tech, that uh, you're playing with fire on there. Colburn and Carney, they're two running backs. Man, you have got to tackle them, and that and so maybe they can get maybe Nordane builds enough of a lead that they can get their backups in, but they're going to have a tough time containing those two guys because they're strong. CMU Penn's fan does the inability of wide receivers to break open on Saturday concern you at all? Perhaps this group of receivers has had a setback, and maybe having some <laughs> issues that were feared when August practice began. I mean, going going into Saturday's game, Notre Dame's top three wideouts were averaging 18 yards per reception. So, you know, I, I understand that now we're going to bring that up because the wideouts didn't have a really good right. game. Yeah. Fink had a drop, and Claypool had a drop, and Boykin only had one catch. So they they didn't combine for a whole lot. Fink had five catches for. Uh, relatively uh, minimal yardage. So I don't want to overreact. I do think that, I mean, we knew going into this season that this might be a receiving core that would be um, um, a bit vulnerable to press coverage. Um, By and large, I thought they handled it pretty well against Michigan. They didn't have a good game, so I don't want to overreact to this one game. Uh, I still think Miles Boykin's a guy that you want to target as much as as frequently as you possibly can. I guess the inconsistency is to be expected. Um, I, can it be overcome in the two-game stretch there of Stanford and Virginia Tech when you need everything to be working? Yeah, no they, doubt. they are getting the tight ends back involved, even with Komet out. It's it's nice to see a red zone target to a tight end down there. I mean, they, they yeah, need, well, he they had three it. of them yeah. in the game, so you, you, you <laughs> yeah, should be able to get the able football to one guy. You've got to be able to find one guy. Yeah, I don't think what Claypool's just not a finished product. It, it's, no, they got to be frustrated. Right no, now. and I and I I do think it's a little concerning that Michael Young was taking snaps away from him, and then we all looked at Claypool and didn't think that the 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 effort or the focus or the the attitude was quite where it needed to be. You mentioned Michael Young though. It yes, helps. you're bringing it. We, no, we, no doubt. we counted on him in August, and all of a sudden he wasn't involved. No doubt, so he that's... did. He didn't catch a pass, but boy, he blocked like crazy, and then obviously. They won't be making a change on kick return this week for the fourth straight week. They had a little different juice than the other guys. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. Uh, at Big Mac twenty four, is it safe? Is it safe to say we lack a number one receiver? Kind of following up on the previous question. Yeah, well, it, I, I understand what you're saying. A true number one, there's not. Boykin is not Floyd and T.J. Jones, the senior, and Will Fuller, the sophomore and junior, of course. But uh, I mean, just because he he didn't have a good day, but that's he. He's the reason they started moving the ball again in the second yeah, half against he's Ball number, State. He is their yeah. number one receiver, and it, it, regardless of what happened Saturday against Vanderbilt. I guess the question would be the two Power Five teams. Let's let's see what Boykin does on the road against Wake against another capable group because you know he he torched Ball State, but he's the athletic superior to Ball State. Michigan was a really hard first matchup for the. They played great bump and run. He made a play. Um, he also doesn't. You can't judge Boykin only on stats, targets, and all that stuff because he doesn't have. a he does not play with Brady Quinn. He's going to have to make some big plays, right. getting a couple first downs and getting a play downfield. Yeah, and I still, you know, he's he he drew that that interference call right at the beginning of the game. I, 
he's going to have a bunch more, I think, as we move on because he's a lot to handle. That's a that's a big body who's a lot stronger, and um, you know, opponents are going to try to compensate by being physical with him, and he's going to pick up. That, that's yardage too. Those. Yeah, that counts no, those, too. That, when kind, you're that counts as part interference, of the, that's huge. the he's, passing game as well. He's got a good litmus test these next three weeks. They're going to need him all three weeks. Yes, that's, they will. At Troy underscore Bowman, am I the only one thinking that these close games will be beneficial for the Irish going forward? The fact that they have faced adversity this early has to be a good thing, right? I mean, it's one way of looking at it. Uh, the, the problem I have, and I wrote my post-game column about this, is I don't know what game's not going to be close. And mathematically, you're not pulling them all out, man. It's it's really hard. People point to 2012, but they started they handled a few teams in 2012, right? That you, what game isn't going to be close right now? Would you just bet on? You're betting Florida State's the only one, and that's Florida <laughs> State, you know. Oh, well, I mean, conceivably, there are times when you get Navy down and you can pound them and you score 50 points. Although this isn't one of those offenses that. Would do that. I, I I get that. Maybe Wake Forest, but I I, I doubt I, it. We both doubt that. We yeah, both you know, doubt that. I mean, summer. after what happened last year, I, I I doubt that seriously. So that that's a good point. Uh, I don't think, you know, when you talk about game pressure, game pressure is when you're losing, and you you have to come back and score. And not that there wasn't game pressure in these games. I, I get that. The defense but, had a lot at the end against Vandy. Plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt, but. You know, when you have to, when, when the game truly, truly is on the line. Because I don't know that I ever, I guess I probably should have felt more like they were going to lose when Lipscomb went up for that pass yes. and we all saw that he caught it. Within a split second, the ball was out. Uh, but I get it. It, do, it certainly doesn't hurt. It, do, it doesn't hurt to, to no. they no. didn't have their backs against the wall, but it doesn't hurt to have game pressure and to come through. They're 3-0 and for the season. They're 3-0 and with game pressure. I can't imagine. I just. I don't want to harp on. I can't imagine game pressure not. Come. You know what? Maybe they can handle. They could handle Pitt in a non-game pressure. I know you see Pitt as a trap, but if you've had six straight close games, are there traps left? <laughs> it's, yeah, and at the end of the day, I don't think yeah. Pitt is that talented of a football team. So yes, that 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 could be one. There's probably one in there that's going to. Oh well, they're going to let up someone. You. We just don't know it. They're yeah. not going to play a year without getting into somebody. Right. Every good team does that, but it's just when you look into the schedule, it should have already happened. That's my best. It, that's the way no, I'm that's pointing a good it out. One. No, it should have already happened twice, if not once. Yeah. Uh, I don't get the whole. I don't buy. I, you know, I said the whole SEC thing. I mean, they were one and seven in the SEC last year. Maybe, maybe I'm sure a few of those were close, but they gave up 44 points five out of the last nine games. So that necessarily that wasn't necessarily one that should have should have been close. Hoffy won 11. Would getting this team to 10 wins be the best coaching performance of the Brian Kelly era? Um. The best coaching performance of the Brian Kelly was 2012. He got them to the national championship game, guys. I don't care what. Yeah, I don't. Come on. I don't think 2012 is being included in this question. He didn't I, have a I quarterback. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no, I get it. I my he, my initial hesitation to that is when you have a defense that won't give up more than 20 points a game, which it which it has done 13 in the last 16 times, and basically last year's defense is this year's defense. Only this year's is is better and more experienced and can rush the passer. You've got a chance, you know. Yeah. You probably you pro- you should win ten games with the defense you have, and with the counting on the offense to continue to evolve because the offensive line clearly evolved against Vanderbilt. Brandon Wimbush, I don't know if we can say evolved, but played a, a real solid, good game. Your running backs look better. The only ones that took a step back, I guess, were the the pass catchers. This could be fun, and Pete did have to run out for a commitment, and that's why he's not involved in this last question. But, Tim, let's go through the Brian Kelly era fast. 2010, good and bad. Good was he reinvented the team. 
when they were four and five. Yeah, and they 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 won in yes. November. Yeah, yeah. Bad was they should have never been four and five. He misjudged. Right. Okay. What his strengths were. Two thousand eleven. I I always felt this was his worst coaching performance because that team didn't beat anyone of any consequence. They beat Michigan well, State. And then the but, way they opened the season. And just, ended it. Yeah, and ended it. So that's not his best coaching performance. No. Yeah. 2012 is the standard, sure, right? What's bad other than the last game? No, I mean, Nothing. you know, you found, you found a way to get through your quarterback issues. He had two receive, former receivers starting at cornerback and yeah. filled with the best defense we've seen since the Holtz era. Yeah. And he had a... Redshirt freshman, former wide receiver, starting at safety all year. That's, I know it's the defense, but that's quite an effort. 13, certainly not the best coaching performance because they got a little fat cat syndrome, right? So that mm-hmm. wouldn't be in here. Mm-hmm. 14, he had a really young team, but no one can lose that many games at the end and call it the best coaching performance. I think quite an effort to bounce back and win the last game. November was just so bad. Yeah. 15, a lot of talent. The injuries are remarkable that they overcame. They did lose to the three best teams they played. But it's a what would you what is the fifteen one because we don't have to talk about sixteen so what is the fifteen one for you? What as far as whether it's, it's better? I mean that they they had injuries, uh, but man they had a ton of talent yeah, on yeah. that team and that's why four and eight was outrageous in, in two thousand sixteen. But five hundred I wouldn't have thought or seven and five I wouldn't have thought to be outrageous right. when you consider absolutely how much talent walked out the door on on both sides of the ball. It it. it you had to you had to start over with the exception of yes of your quarterback basically <clears throat> so 17 was a juggernaut for a while we got to give him credit for that I, I you pointed out astutely I think there was much easier to motivate the 2017 team than anything else so the motivation was easy for 2017 right. so if you can motivate these guys to 10 and two which is the question is that more impressive than last year? We're splitting hairs, I, no, but I, I, guess, I mean, I guess I guess the question's legit. Yeah, you know, it is. I, it, it is when you add everything up. All right, we're going to have to roll here. Uh, this has been the latest edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services. We'll be back on Thursday to preview Notre Dame versus Wake Forest in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.